right away, right off the bat. And it says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And first off, I just want to think of that phrase, praise the Lord. Like, what does that mean? And what is the point of praising the Lord? And since this psalm is commanding us to praise the Lord in a way, we wonder, is this, is this something we do begrudgingly out of duty? Or is it something we only do when we feel like it? I want to just try to answer some of these questions right away before we keep moving along into the psalm. But I think that that phrase, praise the Lord, is really the point of this psalm. And it's really, it's bookended, it's at the start, and it's at the back end of the psalm. So, when you think of the phrase, praise the Lord, I think, I think the single event um, for me, in which I've consistently, whether that's intentionally or unintentionally, consistently just praised the Lord, is when I'm witnessing a beautiful sunset or sunrise. I think a lot of us can, um, can just, would have that same, same understanding, just the beauty of a sunset. And even this week, earlier this week, we had a men's gathering out at George Cook's house. And as we were finishing up, this was the last uh, men's Bible study before the summer started. And I'm driving away and I look out and the sun was setting, it was perfect timing, and it was just brilliant. Like, it was amazing. And so I pulled the car off to the side of the road. And I got out of my car and I just drank it in. Just the deep pink, pinkish and bluish clouds uh, just co- and contrasted with the dark woods across the field. It was just, it was spectacular. And then like a good millennial, I, uh, I took out my phone. <laughs> I took my phone out and I took a video of it and I sent it to my girlfriend, Janae. <laughs> and I wanted to share the beauty that I was experiencing. praising God for the beauty of his creation. And, but why would I do this? Why would I, why would I want to share the beauty? What makes us, and what makes us, because I think we all can um, agree with that kind of, that situation. It's just, you want to share what is beautiful. But I came across a quote from none other than C.S. Lewis, who I think is, Arguably the most quoted theologian in this, uh, in this church here. We have Pastor Tom to thank for that, I think. <laughs> but he has a book called Reflections of the Psalms. And he's talking about, in that, chap- in that chapter, um, specifically about praising the Lord. He's talking about why we're commanded to praise the Lord. And he writes this. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. 
And so can we relate to that? Is that, is that something you've noticed? Just when we see something amazing, we want to talk about it. It completes our enjoyment when we're able to tell other, peop- other people about it. And I think that this is why we see that in the psalm. This is why God is commanding us and exhorting us to praise him in his word. He's not telling us to praise him because he's egotistical and he must have our praises in order to maintain his self-esteem or something like that. That's, that's kind of ridiculous, right? <laughs> no, we're commanded to praise the Lord because he created us. And he knows that it is only through our praise and our reflecting back his glory that our enjoyment is now completed in him. And so God does not need our affection. He does not need our praise. As Father, Son, and Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity, they've been delighting in and enjoying each other for all of eternity, from eternity to eternity. And But instead, God has created our hearts and designed our hearts to give glory to God and to join with the Father, to join with the Son, and to join with the Holy Spirit in in praising God and giving glory to God. If we're always looking inward, our hearts will rot away within us because we were never meant to praise ourselves. But if we look out, if we look outward to God and we praise the one who is most worthy of our praise, then we find our greatest enjoyment and our greatest delight in him. And so what I was doing the other night when I shared the beautiful sunset with my girlfriend was doing naturally what I was created to do. Enjoying God by praising him for his incredible works of creation and telling of his wonders to other people. And so with this psalm that we're looking at today, I want to encourage us to praise the Lord and to make this a regular part of our existence on earth. And as it says in verse 2, I will sing praises to God while I have my being. In the first verse, it's an exclamation for the whole congregation. And then right after that, it's also personalized for each individual. Praise the Lord for the whole congregation. Praise the Lord together. And then the next phrase is, praise the Lord, O my soul. And so this is something we're to do both on our own time personally and when we come together as the people of God. We praise the Lord. So kind of with that in mind, let's dive into the middle verses of this chapter where the psalmist shows us some of the countless reasons to praise the Lord. So let's read verses 2 through the beginning of verse 7. It says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. 
And so the first point that I want us to see is that we praise the everlasting creator, God. In verses two through four, the psalmist calls us to praise the everlasting God. And he does this by contrasting our short and fleeting lives compared with the bigness and the grandeur of the everlasting God. And he tells us not to put our trust in fellow man since, since we are mortal. When our breath departs, we return to the earth. Our lifespan is short compared to eternity. We are a vapor. And I'm reminded in our context here as we look around during the spring season and now into summer, I'm just reminded of the blooms of a lilac tree. If you think of just the beauty that, that we have during the springtime with the lilacs just all around. I, just the last couple of weeks even, have, we've seen those all over the place, the variations of white, pink, or purple colors, but, but almost as quickly as they spring up, they fade away. And, and we're seeing that even, even this week compared to last week. Um, so just, just to think of that in our local context here, it's like that's what the life, that's what our lives are like compared to eternity. But the reason that the psalmist talks about man's mortality, it's really in, it's, it's in order to contrast, it's in order to see the bigness, the greatness of our eternal God who is immortal. He does not die. He does not change. He is the God who made the heavens and the earth. And if you've ever seen uh, Pastor Louis Giglio's video and presentation called Indescribable, I don't know how, how many of us have seen it. I saw it several years ago, um, actually out at Silver Birch Ranch, under the stars. But it's, he gives this talk about the vastness of the universe, and which even has its own measurement that we ca- use called light years. Um, just to measure the distance. And he talks about how, how it would take over 2,000 years to count one per second every star just in our Milky Way galaxy. So just in our galaxy, which there are billions of galaxies out there in the known universe. And so only, even in our universe, just one per second, it would take over two years to count the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And our God is the God who created these galaxies. He's a big God. In verses 5 through 6, Psalm 146, say, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. And these verses are amazing too. We, we here at Springbrook and, and all over the world, we serve the God of ages past, the God of Jacob. And our hope is in the one who created these galaxies, who created the vast galaxies of our universe. The psalmist says in the same sentence as well, that God gives justice for the oppressed and food for the hungry. So think about those contrasting thoughts of 
just the bigness and the grandeur of God, and yet he cares for our hearts, and yet he, he sees the oppressed, and he cares for every single one of his creatures. And so that's just, that contrast right there is amazing as well. So Psalm 146 tells us to praise the Lord, and then it gives us these incredible reasons for doing so. Because he created the heavens and the earth, he is the everlasting God, and he knows us, and he cares for us intimately. And then looking ahead at the next few verses, verses 7 through 10, we're going to see another aspect of God and why he is worthy of our praise. He is a God who delivers, who rescues, who saves, and who redeems his people. And as Americans, we definitely love and can appreciate a good redemption story. If you think of even just some of the, some of the wars that we've been in, like the Revolutionary War or the Civil War, there are just aspects of a good redemption story in those that we can latch on to. You have the 13 colonies in North America who are being oppressed and taken advantage of by the British rule. But just through the bravery and resolve of these 13 colonies, we applaud them for standing up to the bigger power and gaining their freedom, which is now a bedrock that we live under in this country. Or in the Civil War, we're just reminded of the oppression of the transatlantic slave trade and the dependency that the southern states had on the slaves that they owned, but, but we applaud the bravery of the slaves and the bravery of those fighting for the slaves, both on the battlefields and the courtrooms and the legislature, in order to grant the oppressed slaves freedom from their captors. So these are just little snippets um, of the redemption stories that we have as Americans here, but but God, but God is not limited to, or we're not limited to those stories. Like God is a God of freedom and liberty for the captive. And this is what we see in verses 7 through 10. And it's what we see in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, most importantly. And this is what the gospel is about. It's about God reaching down into our broken mess and rescuing us from our own destruction, from our own imprisonment, from our own blindness, our own wanderings, from our own loss and our own fatherlessness and from the brokenness that comes from our own sin and our rebellion against God. But Jesus picks our feet up out of the muck and the mire and sets our feet on the rock of salvation. He rescues us from our destructive and sinful states and saves us into his freedom, into his grace, and into his eternal peace. And that's what verses 7 through 10 are talking about. It says, The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. 
your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. And so I want us to notice who is doing this. It's not the prisoner freeing himself. It's not the blind giving themselves sight. It is the Lord God, the everlasting God, the creator and sustainer and redeemer. He cares about each and every one of his children enough to rescue them from their bondage. And he has done that through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I want to show us in just kind of looking through the gospels how Jesus came and performed every one of these different actions that it talks about in verses 7 through 9. And so just briefly, verse 7 says, The Lord sets the prisoners free. And we see the demon-possessed man in Mark 5 who was living in caves. He was in chains both literally and figuratively, but Jesus set him free. And then in verse 8, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Jesus had mercy on the blind beggar in Mark 10 and miraculously gave him sight, as well as many other Uh, blind who he gave sight. And then again, in verse 8, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Jesus lifted up the one who was bowed down in the story of the woman who was healed from her 12-year-long flow of blood, which no physician could heal. But Jesus healed her, lifted her up. That was in Matthew 5, sorry, Matthew 9. And then the end of verse 8, Psalm 146, verse 8, the Lord loves the righteous. And we see this all throughout the Gospels, but a particular instance is when Jesus is gently restoring Peter back to himself after Peter had denied him three times in John 21. And then moving along in Psalm 146, in verse 9, It says, the Lord watches over the sojourner. And multiple times, Jesus went out of his way to interact with outsiders in Israel, such as the Syrophoenician woman, the Roman centurion, the Samaritan woman. He watched over the sojourner. And then later in verse 9, it says, he upholds the widow and the fatherless. And Jesus upheld the widow and the fatherless when he brought back to life the only son of the widow in Luke 7. And finally, at the end of verse 9, it says, But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. And in Matthew 24, we see that Jesus brings about justice. He prophesies about the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, which would later occur in A.D. 70. And this was part of, part of God's earthly judgment on the Pharisees and the scribes and all those who saw the works and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus but did not believe. And so what we, what we can take away from this passage, verses 7 through 10, ultimately is that Jesus saves, that Jesus redeems and restores He restores what sin and the depravity of man have torn down through death and destruction. But Jesus restores and makes all things new. And this is what we see in the new heavens and the new earth. 
that is being prepared for us right now. Everything will one day be made new. And the death and resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that this will happen. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, our sins are atoned for and captives are set free. The blind receive their sight. The orphan finds a home. All things will be made new. And as we see this and as we recognize how good God is, we praise the Lord. In the final verse of this chapter, verse 10, it says, The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. That's where it's bookended at the end there. Praise the Lord. So we praise the Lord who is creator of the heavens and the earth who is faithful throughout all generations, who redeems and restores. We praise him and we, we teach our sons and daughters to praise him and we come together as a church and we praise him together. And so in closing here, this is kind of a, kind of a half announcement and half closing the end of this message, but I mentioned the opportunity last week about helping and supporting our foster families here at Springbrook. Maybe you were here, maybe you weren't, but I want us to think about this opportunity through the lens of what we just talked about today and what we see in Psalm 146. We praise an everlasting God who has reached down and rescued us from our bondage of sin. And just as he has rescued us, so we are called to act similarly to those around us who don't know him. And supporting our foster families is one, it's just one way that we can praise the Lord and that we can show his greatness and his glory to those around us. And as they are rescuing these children and providing the fatherless a home, we recognize that this is what Jesus, our Redeemer, has done for us. And we have the opportunity to serve these families as our church here, as our congregation. And so again, as I mentioned last week during the announcements, if you are feeling led to support our foster families, please just catch me after the service. There's a whole list of different ways that we can meet their needs tangibly right now. And so just catch me after the service or shoot me an email at nathan at springbrookantigo.org. And this is not the only way that we praise the Lord. It's just something that's in front of us right now uh, that I wanted to highlight. But I would just encourage each of us to pray about that and seek the Lord on whether he's calling you to serve and support our foster families here in the church. But we are going to have a chance to sing and praise the Lord together here. So uh, first, I would invite you to Um, just seek the Lord together with me in prayer right now. Eternal Father, blessed Redeemer, Spirit of God, we ask in your name that you would be glorified in our hearts this, this week as we leave the building and we go out into the world which you have made and which you sustain. We ask that you would help us to see the areas in our lives and in our hearts which have been wrecked by our own sins and by the sins of others and that you would do a work of restoration in our hearts, God. 
We ask that this would be done in our hearts so that we can praise your name day in and day out and that we would be a people whose lips speak of your greatness to those around us and whose feet walk in your ways this week and in the coming weeks. God, we ask that our community would be impacted by our praise and that they would come to know their creator and their sustainer and their redeemer just as we do. God, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.